0: You can make the big time if you've got a certain level of talent, but also you've got the work ethic to work hard at it. And that's normally a three- to five-year journey. So a lot of people who go out to try and qualify, if they haven't got a pedigree, they need to be counselled that fact, that this is this is a journey, this is going to be tough for you, you know, and, I, and I've had that conversation with a number of people over the years, knowing that, you know, that... It is going to be a journey, and there's going to be a lot of... They've got to learn how to lose a lot before they start winning to get to the the big time. But, you know, it's an achievement. You know, everyone around them, everyone around the surfers over the moon, those people who are moderately talented, if they qualify too early, say say a two-year qualification, they usually don't last there because there's this package of skills that they need more than just surfing. You know, they need to be able to handle the pressure of surfing against a Medina and a Mick Fenning and a Kelly Slater and, you know, like they have to handle the pressure of being interviewed every day. They have to handle the pressure of people coming up and wanting their autographs, you know, when when in the WQS that doesn't happen, you know. So when they get to the big time, there's all these different pressures and there's also the pressure in the in the WCT that you might surf, you might compete on day one and then not compete until day 10. So you've got seven or eight days of lay, um, layover you know where you don't compete you've got to sit around you've got to you've got to be like a ferrari in a garage you know you've got to <laughs> you've got to be ready to go and someone who isn't hasn't got their package of skills hasn't got that skill they haven't learned those other intangible skills that the, that the top line pro has besides learning the different brakes as well around the world you know the the choppers the bells beach the snappers the yeah they they're all learning curves in themselves
1: that was martin dunn and this is the ocean riders podcast <laughs> the ocean riders podcast conversations with creatives entrepreneurs thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers Hi everybody and welcome to the Ocean Riders Podcast. My name is Immy and I am your host. I'm super stoked to be back behind the mic today and to launch episode 55 of the Ocean Riders Podcast. I hope you're enjoying it so far and if you are, you can share the love. There are many ways that you can help me reach more listeners and support my efforts. First of all, subscribe to the podcast on your app this way, all the shows will automatically download onto your phone and you won't miss an episode. Second, rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews will help someone else choose the podcast and perhaps they will be inspired to follow a path sim- similar to one of my guests. Finally, you can also head over to my web shop, theoceanridersshop.com and get some super cool and environmentally friendly t-shirts or sweatshirts and this will help me pay for my awesome editor. Now that housekeeping is out of the way, I'm really excited to introduce you to my world, a worldwide legend. His name is Martin Dunn and he is my guest today. Martin has been influencing worldwide professional surfing for the past 35 years. He's a professional surf coach who has taken his students to the summits. He is the driving force behind the success of Team Australia and Team Peru's surfing team and over 20 WCT pro surfers too, such as Julian Wilson, Carissa Moore, Sally Fitzgibbons and his own son Ben Dunn, just to name a few. So if you grew up learning to surf in Australia, you are bound to have come across also one of his booklets on surfing drills. He started his career by writing a thesis about the perfect cutback. So in essence, Martin is the man. So today we get to know Martin a bit better and found out how he innovated way before the others and became a professional surf coach. Martin also lets us in on a few tips to improve our own surfing. We also get to discover Martin's latest surf related project, whose ambition is to make us all better surfers. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Martin Dunn. Hello, Martin, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today?
0: Yeah, well, thanks. We've just gone coming out of winter in Australia and things are warming up. I'm up near Queensland and so things are really good, thanks. Oh, beautiful.
1: So I guess for the very small amount of surfers that don't know who you are, do you think you could introduce yourself to the listeners?
0: Well, (laughs) I'm not sure whether I'm that famous, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah, no, my name's Martin Dunn. I've been a surf coach for almost 35 years now. That's a professional coach, just not dabbling. I committed to it a long time ago and um and I've tried to to do it as professionally as I could. I've worked with thousands of surfers in that time. Some of them went on to and are still elite professional surfers. I work with national teams and also I, I work at all levels, uh, you know, the recreational surfer who just wants to learn how to do a better cutback, the surfing mums, you know, there's a group of surfing mums I see from time to time and they want they want to just be able to catch better waves. You know, there's a grommet who who want, who's got dreams of being a professional surfer. Well, there's that journey of working with them. So, you know, I've got a full repertoire of of instruction depending on who I'm working with, and and I feel confident that I can help people mainly because of my experience over the years. That you know, I've I've basically made every mistake you can make <laughs> as a coach, and thought long and hard about well, how do I not make that mistake again? And the reality is, that every everyone that comes to you is is slightly different They have slightly different motivations and expectations and and you've got to help them help them get to where they want to go um, as first, fast as they want to work on it can
1: allow mm, absolutely and so what was it like growing up in old bar new south wales oh
0: well <laughs> old bar old bar new south wales is is about four hours north of sydney uh, so you, you catch a plane in Sydney and you drive north for four hours and you come to this little town called Old Bar. That's the area I grew up in. I didn't grow up in Old Bar itself, but I grew up about 15 minutes west of Old Bar, a place called Tari. And when I first started surfing, I didn't have access to the beach. So the only way I could get to the beach was to hitchhike to the beach. So as a, as a 12-year-old boy, I convinced my mum that it was all right to hitchhike to the beach and then people we would know would pick me up So the journey for me was for four or five years I hitchhiked to the beach most occasions and of course when you hitchhike to the beach whatever's there you surf (laughs) so you're highly motivated you want to surf and I think to this day that's a big part of the reason why I'm still in the sport you know that the passion of actually the hard work of getting there and then surfing whatever was there really made me highly motivated. My mum used to say to me, you know, that the surf won't run away, you know, <laughs> when I was a young then and, and I'd say, well, you know, like, yeah, but it could be really good today, you know, and so there was always that dream. And there was always that, that hope that you get out there and be pumping.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess I had the same kind of feeling when I started because we didn't have it. We were, I was landlocked as well and having to sort of go for long distances to actually get to surf. So, yeah, I, well, I, I remember the motivation was enormous. like. <laughs> yeah yeah like
0: it's it's a journey in itself isn't it and you know you could talk about stories about (laughs) the trip down and you know in my case the people who picked me up you know and and luckily uh, you know I I didn't have any trouble (laughs) and I survived so uh, you know there'd be no way my mother a mother today would allow their child to do that it just wouldn't happen absolutely so it was was free and easy times back then
1: (laughs) and so if you were landlocked so how did you actually sort of who sort of Gave you the surfing bug in the first place, or what gave you the surfing bug?
0: Well, in Australia, we have a have a thing called uh, the Surf Life Saving Movement, and and so you know really, if you're near the coast as a kid, you generally end up being a lot of people end up being a part of the surf club. Mm-hmm. And what the surf club for young children are is they have competitions, they have running races, and they have swimming races, and and so it's it's more competition based team team environment you know and then they have a barbecue at the end and it's all it's all good it's all friendly and some towns it's a real community thing you know like the town revolves around the surf club mm. because of all the families that go there so my early introduction was through just swimming in the ocean and learning the ocean skills through that and then my my sister had a boyfriend who had a surfboard and so i just started playing around on the on the board when i was 11 or 12 and and that was a bug and then then my father bought me an old like a backyard board I don't know I don't know who made it (laughs) well it floated it it had to float but but it didn't do much else (laughs) but I thought it was the best thing ever and and you know again that was a start and you've got to start somewhere and it was always very difficult to to hitchhike with that board because there's a big lug and and people wouldn't pick you up necessarily because of the size of the board
1: (laughs) I can imagine and did you have any surfing idols at the time when you started not really. Um, in those days,
0: the only surfers you saw were your local surfers. Who, You know, yeah, there was always the better and lesser surfers in that environment. And then every year, there'd be one or two surf movies would come through to your local cinema. They were big events.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like you go and, you know, five summer stories, um, a winter's tale, you know, like these were, you know, you'd live for these. And, and you obviously you 'd know about them because they they were in the surfing magazines and and the the surfing magazines were the window into who was who was around and what was happening and when those movies were coming yeah my my wall obviously like any grommet was plastered with all of the people who were supposed stars and and in a lot of cases, they were, but they, they also were lived around the corner from the surf photographer in those days. So, so they were more likely to get the, get the shots and be in the magazines.
1: <laughs> that was brilliant. And what finding or book or encounter actually made you change field and give up your previous jobs and embark on a, on a sports science degree? Well, because of
0: surfing and sport at school, I didn't do so well at school. And then when I left school, I didn't really have a lot of ambition other than to go surfing. My first job was apprentice chef and I didn't last in that job. But like today, I I love cooking. I cook all the time. So cooking, there was – and I worked as a labourer and building houses and, you know, all sorts of jobs. And I ended up in a bank, working in a bank. And and the bank was okay, but from a stimulation point of view, it it did my head in. (laughs) Um, So – (laughs) <laughs> you know and and nothing against bank workers, but you know like if you've got a chance, well, get out while you can you know <laughs> so anyway so at, at the end of two years of being in the bank, I decided to to go to university, and that's when I went and and became a you know this was seven years after I left school mm-hmm. and I wanted to do something in sport, and there was a course on sports science which which had a had a major direction in sports coaching, so we learned about how to coach all different sports. And as a result of then you could then you could go into the sport of your choice at the end of your, the end of your time. Most people went and worked for, you know, clubs or gyms or things like that, established sports. And and my thing was I I wanted to be well I, I was just fascinated in how surfing was and how you could improve surfing. Having the science background and looking at surfing and then starting to think deep, more deeply into surfing, I really found that um, it was a stimulating thing, something I've loved all those years. Like at mm-hmm. that point, I'd been a surfer for almost 20 years and just starting to think about how that worked, why it worked, why it didn't work, really made me go into that early stages of, of being a surf coach or calling myself a surf coach.
1: <laughs> yeah, because that was quite kind of daring or avant-garde to become a surf coach at that time. What did your family think about that decision?
0: Well, early on, I had other jobs as well. You know, like I had part-time jobs and, and my wife had a full-time job. So there's a team effort here in, mm-hmm. in how you survive that first onslaught of how you pay the bills and, and the like, you know. You know, w- without that support, well, obviously, I wouldn't have survived, mm-hmm. you know. That's the reality of the situation. But whenever I could, I I worked on my coaching skills. Again, I had to do a lot of traveling in those days. Uh, I was living in an old bar at that time, and I said to my wife at the time, my wife Trish, I said to her that, you know, I've got to have to do this traveling, but one day they'll come to me. Mm. You know, like one day the the sport will get to a point where people will actually want to come to me and I won't have to travel. It probably took me about eight or ten years for that to happen, so I did a lot of traveling. This was domestic traveling in Australia. And what happened was that I um, I started going around, As you were right, not many people were into coaching. There were some early adopters, people who, not only in Australia, but also there was a, a guy from Hawaii, uh, Dr. John Jones, who had a family of red-hot surfers, uh, Malia Jones, Makala Jones, Daniel Jones. They all became American junior champions at, at some point in the future. So these early adopters, they started to look at what I was doing, and they decided that you know, this is this is something that might help my children, you know. And because I was coming from a, a science point of back a because. science point of view, besides you know, besides the being a surfer myself, so I had the I had the surfing understanding of what it was and I had the science thing of, of how things work in other sports and I was applying those principles and those laws to surfing. And as I said, I made a lot of mistakes, but the things that worked, well, I kept them and I, I kept using them, and they got results. You know, they weren't things that were, you know, fake news, as some people like to to use that term in the world. But you know, they were things that, if you give people a direction and there's a validated background to it, well, then they can get improvement in their performances. Mm. That's exactly what's happened, and I've been. The other thing that's happened too is early on, I started producing products, you know, books, videos training diaries drill books and that gave me an even deeper understanding of the sport because the thing about surfing is that what works one day and is correct on another day doesn't work and it may actually be incorrect mm. depending on the situation and that's the variance of of the sport you know it's different if you're on a balance beam and it's stable or you're you know you're on a court where there's no movement but when you're in a moving environment You know what's perfectly correct one day can be perfectly incorrect the next.
1: Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. In one of your training videos, it's really interesting to actually to set aside some extra time before you surf to actually analyse the environment and even sort of draw out the environment and everything before you actually go in. And I thought that was such good advice. And nobody's ever sort of told me to do that sort of in such detail before. And that was really that's sort of super super helpful information for for an average surfer like me?
0: Well, you know, like it's, it, it means that you might miss one or two waves in that surf because you've taken the time to, yeah. <laughs> to actually study the ocean. But the, the thing is, when you get in the ocean, if you've studied the ocean and looked at the, at the things that you should look at, you're probably going to get better quality waves
1: mm.
0: and you're probably going to get better rides because you're gonna be taking off in a better position on the wave. Absolutely. You know, like a big a big frustration for many people is that they paddle out and they'll they paddle for a lot of waves and they can't that they can't catch. Yeah, and they get tired. Yeah, and they get tired. But it, but also when they paddle for a wave they can't catch, they turn around and they start paddling out and, and the way that they should have waited for breaks on their head. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we can all we can all relate to that, you know, that you just get smashed. And it's it's you know, as as a pro surfer from Peru said to me when you're paddling back out, it's it's, it's actually the paddle of shame. <laughs> you know, and I thought, I thought that, you know, that's what it is. You know, you've made that mistake, and the <laughs> price you're going to pay is you're going to get smashed by the next wave behind it. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> and then and, you know, and, and, and that's the rally. But the thing about it is if you're aware about what, what the ocean's doing that day and you're aware of, of what the type of wave you want to try and catch, so if you'd like set a little target, you're more likely to actually achieve that target.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: absolutely, and it's really that simple.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying at all that the whole thing is limited to that first sort of introduction video, because there are tons and tons of things in your website that you can actually learn about. And what's really interesting is you actually wrote a thesis about the forehand cutback. Now, could you tell me what you sort of discovered or some of your findings in the thesis?
0: Well, again, that was that was in my last that was my last year of university, and fundamentally, what it was was that. There's a subject called biomechanics and biomechanics is the study of movement and the forces that, are, that apply to that, to movement. So, you know, like wh- whenever we do something, whether we kick a ball or we drive a car or, you know, or we, we run run down to the beach, we're actually using the forces that we produce and then we're trying to counteract the forces of nature that try to stop us from doing things. And so so when you when you look at someone surfing, you 've got all these forces happening you know you 've got the force from you 've got the force of gravity pushing down you know which takes you down a wave you 've got the force of the wave itself and you know and that varies between and that varies between strong and weak and everything in between and that depends on the a number of factors you know the bottom contour that the wave's breaking on, the strength of the generating storm, and how far away it was, how close it is, and the like and then as we take off. There's a force which is which is a drag force that, that's working to slow us down. So our board goes through the through the wave, and and so there's a, a drag force. If you, for instance, if you if you finish a wave, if a wave finishes it, it's it breaking and it breaks out into a deep channel. If you drive straight out off the wave into the deep channel, you'll eventually stop. Mm. And the thing that stops you is that drag force. Yeah. Right. So that that's the sort of thing. So there's the forces that you do, and then there's the nature. Has and then there's the forces that the body creates. So, you know, there's a thing called summation of forces. So, where when we bend our body and we straighten it, there's a sequential contraction of the body as we straighten. And what that does, that pushes against the board. The board pushes against the water and then lets go, if you like. And then we go up the wave face. Mm. You know, like I'm not sure to explain that correctly, but but you know what I mean? Like, there, there's the there's force of your body as well. Mm. So when I coming back to the cutback, when I <laughs> earlier on when I was at university, there was no scientific studies on surfing. There was no you know, there, there was really nothing on surfing. And so what I did was I did this study of, of a. there was a famous cutback by a guy by the name of Thornton Fallander from Australia. He's a he used to be a famous surfer back in the back in the seventies and eighties. And he was one of the first guys to be to be shown at NIAS in Indonesia. And he came out of this barrel and he did this beautiful cutback where he came around and he put it up on the phone. And, well, that was the cutback I did the, the biomechanical analysis of. And my, my take, what I had to do was to actually say what forces were being applied and what he did to make the cutback smooth and seamless and controlled. And so, so having that un- understanding, you know, that there is a science behind everything we do, you can actually then go and say, okay, well, there's every single – Maneuvering surfing, there actually is a correct technique. Mm. Some purists mightn't want to hear that, but that's the that's the reality. From a purely science point of view, there's a there's a correct technique. The thing that people see when they see different surfers surfing is it's different surfers' interpretation of that technique. So that's their style, if you like, when they surf, and that's that's affected by their body shape, their ability, their athleticism, their, the, the ability of the muscles to produce power. There's the the conditioning of where they grew up from. You know, like some places produce surfers who are very good at going up and down a wave, and there's other places that produce surfers that are very good at, if there's lots of closeouts, going fast across a wave, right. and they aren't so good at up and down. So they're conditioned to the, they're conditioned from from where they surf mostly or where they learn to surf, and that, that has an effect on their style as well. So when I analysed that cutback, that was the thing that really – got me to be the coach that I am today. Mm. Because that was the thing that I thought, wow, how good's that? You know? How good is that that's that surfing I've never I've never actually seen surfing in that light ever. And for most people they, they couldn't care less. <laughs> but for me but for me, I, I love it. I love that stuff. And I could talk about surfing in that vein, about the technical, the, the small degrees of surfing for as long as you want to talk about. <laughs> you know really <laughs> that's it. <fantastic. laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's how it works. But you know, the the thing about it, though is because it's because it's such a technical sport, the art of being a coach is actually you've got to bring it into a, a user friendly model that people can understand. Mm, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: So that's that's what I try. That's what I've tried to do through my whole career, is to explain complex tasks into simple explanations, and in some words, it's sometimes it's just one word it might be you know you can say twist and that has all sorts of connotations when you when you're talking about someone coming off the top of a wave so twisting off the top of the wave means putting your weight somewhere means putting your body somewhere but but if you actually talk to people about doing that in that long form way it's all over before you get to the end of the sentence Mm, yeah so from a (laughs) an instructional point of view, you actually gotta come up with teaching cues that actually can and then explain what the cue means and then, then people can then go and work on a particular action with a particular focus on one word and and they can get it and it makes makes perfect sense to them.
1: Yeah, because you've got lots of expressions that have been actually sort of taken up by the surfing culture overall, like you know, the chest over front knee concept, the you know, all sorts of things like that. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, there's a few of them. Yeah, there's, there's chest over front knee. Chest over front knee is, is the perfect balance position. So if you do a final manoeuvre, well, if you do any manoeuvre, you've actually got to recenter over your board to become balanced. And so what happens in surfing is we, we lean off our board to go into a manoeuvre, we do a manoeuvre, and at some point to finish the manoeuvre, we have to get back over the top of the board. And if we're doing a combination of manoeuvres, getting back over the top of the board is only for a moment. It's just like a tenth of a second or two-tenths of a second and then we lean off the board again to go into the next manoeuvre. But there is a moment when when we are balanced. Mm. And so we we talk about dynamic balance. But when you get to the end of the wave, you have more what's called static balance where you have to actually get to do a final manoeuvre and then you push forward to a chest over front knee position. Fundamentally, what we're doing there is we're putting our weight back over to the centre of the board so the board lands and is totally parallel to, you know, it's flat. So we land flat. So at the moment of landing, we want to be flattening the board. And where that came from, years ago, I, I mentioned the Jones family in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Years ago, I was working with Makala Jones, and Makala Jones is, is a recognised free surfer these days. He's based in Bali, and often you'll see deep barrels of of Michaela somewhere, but anyway, when he was about 15, we're working on on his more base manoeuvres, and one of the manoeuvres was the the finishing the floater finish, and was was surfing. He was surfing this place, this little secret spot at the back of the North Shore, and he was performing this this manoeuvre, this finishing floater finish, which was on a really sucky little end section, so it was difficult to make. And what what he was doing, he was going for the floater. And he was landing, but he was catching the outside rail on landing, so he was wiping out. He came in, and I said, "Listen, why don't, why don't you try just putting your head over your front knee when you when you try and land? You know, just to give him a focal point." And then what he went out, and he and you know the waves were similar, and he, he tried it again a few more times. And this time he was just catching. He was catching and almost making it, but it didn't didn't quite work. And so the next time he came in, I said, listen, that finishing, let's try chest over front knee. So just push that extra six inches, if you like. Bam, every time. He went out and it worked every single time. That was probably 25 years ago. It was a revelation. (laughs) I still use it today. It works today like good information doesn't get old. (laughs) Yes. And that's just one of those things that is, is so essential to being a successful surfer. And for a lot of people, a lot of recreational surfers, having that understanding that you know i've just got to get to that end point in the maneuver can just change this surfing in a big big way
1: mm, yeah also i was noticing in your in your training courses that there's a quiz that you have to do at the beginning so i'm sort of only to the i'm not actually in the maneuver section yet but what was really important yeah. is actually finishing that wave and i thought that was really really interesting the actual sort of whole Going up, cut back, bottom turn, whatever, and then the actual finish is almost as important as the other manoeuvres. It's a manoeuvre in itself.
0: Well, you know, when I look at the surfer the first time, the first thing I look at is their, you know, what they do before they catch a wave. So they're positioned in the ocean, and then their, their decisions on catching waves, their takeoff. But when they're actually on a wave surfing, it's very important that their start of the wave and their end of the wave is solid. So that if I'm going to instruct someone, that's where I start. Yeah. Okay. I call that the, the bookends of the ride. Okay. So that they're the things that hold everything else up. So at the start of the wave, you need a good entry into the wave. You, know, you need a good fast entry, up fast if you've got that ability. And then you've got to be able to create horizontal speed. And most people, probably 70% of people, can't create speed well. And the thing about creating horizontal speed is that if you can create horizontal speed well with the correct technique, you can sp- surf small waves really well because small waves need speed. Otherwise, you're bogging, you're mm. catching a rail all the time, you're doing turns. So and when you're catching small waves, having a good entry in the wave, popping up fast, and then getting your speed quickly before thinking about doing turns. So get your speed first and then use that speed to do your manoeuvres. You're going to have a much better time in small waves. Mm. So it's essential – for any surfer, that they learn how to create speed, and at the start of the way that's all a part of the, the pop-up as well. So pop-up into a, a speed creation technique is really important. And then at the end, it's this doing the manoeuvre. A big part of it is choosing at the end, choosing what you're being faced with. So the different sections have a different manoeuvre to perform. So if if a if it's a foamy section at the end, well, then uh, just a re-entry is what you need to do. If it's a longer section, well, then there's a floater. If it's a if it's a sucky section, there's a, there's a manoeuvre called a lip-line finish, and that's a, a really simple technique to get, but it's something that a lot of people don't like because it's a little bit too heavy for them or they're a little bit fearful of the consequence of, of wiping out in those sucky end sections. But they all come back to the chest over front knee uh, <laughs> uh, as, as well. So... If you choose the right manoeuvre and then do do the manoeuvre and then chest over front knee, normally your finish will be pretty right. You know? oh,
1: wow, wow. You were saying about sort of gaining speed. You see lots of shortboarders trying to pump on the wave. Is that a good way of actually gaining speed or is there a sort of more gracious way of actually gaining speed?
0: Now, well, no, I, I try and get people not, not to pop up and down. Well, you call it bouncing or you call it hopping. That's their way of creating speed when they haven't got the correct technique right in their repertoire
1: right
0: okay the way to create speed is is if you if you remember at school you probably used to do a thing called a standing broad jump where you stand behind a line and you have to jump as far as possible that's what you need to do on a wave you need to actually jump to your feet and then you straighten your body and lift your arms up to shoulder level or face level so, you end up with a straight body and your your hands straight in front of you, like like if you like a zombie sort of uh-huh. look. <laughs> and what you're trying to do there is you, you're trying to lift your weight up onto your toes. Okay. Okay. So, you, you're weighting the surfboard. So, you, you're basically throwing yourself up, which unweights the surfboard, and the board in response, it jumps forward. And if you look in, you know, in, you've been into my website. If you look in the speed creation area, that shows that graphically that... That technique. Now, that's a technique, you know, I was just talking to someone the other day that, you know, as 15-year-old surfers, Sally Fitzgibbon, mm-hmm. Nicky Van Dyke, Connor O'Leary, who's in the CT, Wade Carmichael's in the CT, those four surfers alone couldn't create speed. What they used to do is they used to bounce or hop like you see.
1: Uh-huh.
0: You'll see now when, they, when they're when actually trying to create speed, they're always straightening their body and lifting their arms forward. And – that's one of the main techniques. As I said, it's one of the main things I teach because I know how essential it is. Mm. And as an aside, last year at the Pipe Masters in Hawaii, Kelly Slater got a ten-point ride. Right? He got this big, deep, long forehand barrel at backdoor pipeline, and he got that. And the only reason he made that was because he used that speed creation four or five times inside the tube. Wow. Okay. You know. And so you know, like I've actually done a in my well. Anyway, you can find that you can type <laughs> in Kelly pipeline temporary ride, and you'll see him stall on takeoff, and then he'll start pumping in the tube, right? And so he can do that technique. If someone else who hasn't got that technique was taking off in that situation, they wouldn't have made that tube, hmm. right? So that's the other extreme. And so this is a this is a technique that's that's used in numerous situations but i highly recommend that every surfer should learn it it's very very important to us to a surfing performance
1: yeah yeah well i definitely sort of check out your website because it's all explained really really well with videos and and all sorts of techniques and diagrams and things like that so yeah absolutely and so what are exactly the sort of the pillars of your philosophy and training programs have you got a sort of certain structure to them
0: yeah, for sure. Um, my structure my baseline is that I want to help people reach their potential, whatever that mat- potential may be. So for some people who come to me they can they can be national champions, they can go on to professional surfers and and you know, and I know I've had over twenty five who actually have gone on to being a WCT, twenty five surfers. So I've worked with a lot of really, really strong surfers. But I've also worked with a lot of people who, who want to just enjoy their surfing more, you know, and, and be recreational. You know, they realise they're not going to be, you know, the, the one that they dreamed of, the surfer they dreamed of, but they still want to have a level of proficiency in their performance. And, you know, and that's important because, because you know, as surfers, we all know if we have a good surf, you know, it makes our day. Mm. And, you know, a big part of a lot of surfers is going for an early surf in the morning before work or school and And a lot of those surfs dictate what their day are going to be like, you know you know so so certain having a certain level of proficiency is important for people, whether that's from an intrinsic point of view, I, you know I'm, I feel good about myself because I can surf or they want to show off to their friends or you know or, the, or they want to have confidence when they travel around the world they They want to be able to go to other places around the world and be able to to feel a part of the pack hmm. you know even though they don't belong in that. That local pack, you know what I mean. So that's really important from from my point of view. Is I help people get there. There is a journey with that. That you know you can't create a change or better surfing overnight. There is a journey, and that's people just have to understand that that's that's the case. Mm-hmm. Well, where I go from first, I assume that people are fit enough to surf. Early in my coaching, early on in my coaching, I did fitness training as well as technical and competition training, but I don't do that now I leave that to the experts cuz there's a lot of experts out there in, in the world of surfing. Mm. You know and, and it might be just you know going to a yoga teacher it might be just going to your local gym. It, you know unless you're unless you've got a really big ambition you don't need to you don't need to be you know working with the you know the number one trainer in the world unless that's something that's important to mm. you. Um, so you know, just having a, a level of fitness that helps you feel stronger in the water, feel more supple, and most important these days is is to reduce the in- incidence of injuries. So, so so that's important, yeah. especially for those who are who are wanting to push their surfing. There's a, definitely a higher incidence incidence of injuries now than there ever was. Mm. But my base of everything is technique. So I I work. I do a lot of work with people on on developing good technique um, because. Because I know that, you know, Because I work with a lot of professional service or comp- competition service. What happens is, if under pressure, when you're under pressure, you revert to what feels most natural. So on a given day, if you're out there and you're falling on your cutback or you're falling on your finishes, and then you compete, for instance, when you're under pressure, you'll do the same. Mm. That's just how it is, right? Your body tightens up, and the things that you that feel most comfortable for you, and for some people falling off every wave feels most comfortable to them that's just who they are and that's just where they are in their surfing but if you work on your technique and you work on and you understand when a particular maneuver should be performed considering what the wave's doing you know what you face the section you face because you know when you go into a section it might be you might have three or four choices if you've got a full repertoire you know, you you might do a rentry or you can drive out far, further out and do a snap maneuver, or you might drive drive out further and do a cut, full cutback. Yeah, you know, but that's your choice if you've got the ability to do all those those maneuvers. So, choosing the right maneuver for the section is a big part of advancing a performance. Mm-hmm. But you actually have to be able to perform the maneuvers first. So you've got to have this base of performance before you can take your surfing to to another level. And again, what happens is that when you're learning how to do these manoeuvres, you're going to make mistakes. So there's a work reality to improvement, that you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You've got to work through the frustrations of the training environment. And then once you start getting a bit of success, well, then you start to feel better about yourself and then you enjoy your surfing more like for for instance if I have a two-day camp with someone and you know with an individual or in a group situation what I, what my aim is is in in that two days by the afternoon of the second so the fourth session I'm hoping that they've whatever skills that I've I've identified I'm hoping that they've actually had some successful executions with those skills because What I've done is I've shown them how to do the skills. Say it's it's a cutback, for instance. I've shown them how to do the skills. We've done some simulations of those skills on on a skateboard or on the beach. They've gone out and tried it and they've been successful or they haven't been, been. Usually they're not very successful to start with, but we video every session. And then you go back and review it and then you go back again and you do it again. But usually by the afternoon of the second day, you're starting to see people get a sense of what it's like. Mm. That's with me being there, you know. That's with me being there, guiding them and giving them encouragement. Because it's hard once a skill's being developed, it's hard to change that skill. You yeah. know what I mean? It's really, it's really difficult to change that. So there's got to be a there's got to be a want. But then you've got to know what that skill should look like. So you need a demonstration of the skill. And then what happens is then you've got to go through the, if you like, the experimental learning phase. So you know what you're supposed to do, and then you go out and try it. Mm. And because the coach is not next to you, you've actually got to figure it out yourself as you're paddling around. And you've also got to make a decision about should I do it here in this section, or sh- or should I do it further down the line? So there's all these. That's why it's incredibly hard to to make these changes. Mm. And what happens is that if you don't have that perseverance, well then there's a certain time when you go I oh, know this is just too hard, you know. And then oh, I'm just going to go have, I'm just going to go have fun. <laughs> and it's all in the kind of mindset sort of thing. There's a Yeah, lot. yeah, that's right. And and then what happens is that if you like you're they're on the pre- prefaces of actually having more fun because they're going to be doing the skill more successfully and consistently if they can just persevere a little bit more. Yeah. The big thing, though, that people have to understand is there's a lot of information out there on the web right now about how to do things in the sport of surfing. Not all of it's correct. <laughs> Some of it is out there to build an audience for their business. right? So what people have to understand is there is a correct technique and that if you are looking for advice, you need to sort through the chaff, if you like, to find the, the, the gold, that will give you the um, information
1: right right that's really interesting and actually to also have a place online which is your website where you have all this information it's sort a gold mine How, how long did it take you to actually compile all this information and all the videos and everything that that's on your website
0: my current website now is it took me i've been about 18 months working on the website so there's over 400 videos there's all the texts there's there's images and the like, you know, and I'm doing webinars, I'm doing interviews with people, you know, and, and everything's to do with be, being a better surfer mm. or talking to people who have worked with people who have become better surfers or sports scientists who have got information about the background of, of surfing and how it can be done better. So I, I'm not into – my website's not about surf trips or who won a contest, even though that can be touched upon. mm my website's all about well how, how do people actually become a better surfer, you know. But before that I did a website called surfcoach.com. So back in two thousand and eight I did a massive website, which is another big project I did. And surfcoach.com went pretty well, you know, and, and I had, you know, a couple of hundred videos on there and a lot of technical stuff and very similar to what my news site's got. But what I've done on on my news site under my own name is that I've put not only how to do maneuvers but i've actually done i've added the training drills that people can do Mm. so that land simulation the skate simulations the surf drills that they can go the background information on on the the decision making skills they have to have you know because you know sometimes as i said sometimes it works on one day sometimes it doesn't on another day so you actually have to Consider all those things if you want a good outcome from the training. Mm -hmm. So having an understanding of how to do the manoeuvre is only the first step. The next step is actually how do I go about creating it in my performance? And that's the big step I've taken with with my website this time. And my, my aim is to build, if you like, the encyclopedia of surfing development. Yeah. You know, that's a big call. But, you know, with 35 years of understanding and working with surfers of every level, I feel confident that I'm going to go a long way towards that over the next four to five years.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. And, and, and what was it like working with your students that have become sort of world-famous elite surfers? What was your experience from that sort of time with them? Well,
0: the, the good thing about it, they're all really, really good people. Yeah. They're all really nice people, you know, and I'm fortunate to call them all friends you know mm-hmm. um, it all started with a girl by the name of Nerida Falconer who was who was on the tour for about eight years she was at the same time as Lane Beachley and Pam Burridge and I worked with Nerida early on and those early motivated surfers I, I probably learned more from them than they learned from me you know what I mean like like going through the process and, and what worked what didn't work traveling with understanding you know the emotional roller coaster you know the highs and the lows you know, there's a there's a lot that goes into it. Then there's there's also the the support around them, the family, the mum and the dad, the the siblings. They all factor into the development of of a surfer. Fundamentally, though, that the champions the champions have all got an intrinsic motivation more than any, than those around them. Mm-hmm. So doing or too hard because they know that. Like for for instance, Nerida, In those days, I was working with her, and there was a big flood. And she couldn't go to the gym. I was I was providing her fitness programs for her at that time. She couldn't go to the gym, her normal route, which was only a 15 minute drive. So so what she did, she she drove the 60 to 80 minutes the long way around to go to the gym to yeah. do the training. And I said to her, you know, you didn't need to do that, there And she said, well, you know, like it's in my program, I'm going to do it. You know, and I had you know Nikki Van Dyke, you know when she was about 16, her and her sister, they lived 15 hours drive from me. So I saw Nikki, you know, four or five times a year. So we do what I call block training together. But this particular time, her and her sister drove up from Phillip Island to Old Bar, which is a 15-hour drive. Nikki trained for three days. They got back in the car and they drove back to Phillip Island. Wow. You know, (gasps) 15-hour drive. And, you know, why didn't they why didn't they fly well they couldn't afford to fly it was cheaper to drive yeah. you know most people would say i wouldn't do that there's just <laughs> no way i'd do that you know what i mean but but this is what champions do mm-hmm. you know they do things that are useful and helpful to them and that's one of the characteristics of these champions the other thing about them is is the tremendous parental support that they receive from those from their parents uh, most of those parents were what I call passive parents, in the fact that they provided the support, the money, the transport, you know, the love to get them where they need to go. On the other side, there's a number of people who don't make it. They have they have proactive parents. And proactive parents are people who push, mm. work hard. To You know, if there's a result against them, they argue the point. You know, they, they push for – you know, everything they do, they push – Rather than allow the child to grow and and display their true ability as a surfer, and so I've I've seen a lot of those people who desperately want to be successful, they were conditioned out of it by their parents, you know. So there's some stories there that probably aren't worth repeating, you know. But that's just the reality. But generally, you know, the, the journey's journey's really good. But you know, I think the big part about it is. They have a big learning curve as professional surfers because it's not a normal existence. They're on the road. They're living out of suitcases, and professional surfing is is a hell of a lot of traveling and a little bit of competing. Mm. You know, so they've got to they've got to adjust to airports, transport, missed flights. You know, different cultures, different languages. You know, my my son, for instance, when he he was a professional yeah. surfer, he was on the the WCT for four years. <laughs> His first time to France, he got lost. He was driving from the airport to uh, to, to down to uh, Bordeaux and, and Berritz, and he got lost on the freeway. He, he took the wrong turn, and and he rang up home in Australia, and he said, I don't know where I am. We were in Australia with a map trying to <laughs> advise him. We said, why don't you go and ask someone? He said, well, I tried to, but they, they won't speak to me in English. Oh, no. You know, so. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Yeah, like just just simple little things like that are, are difficult as a skills
1: yeah what, what did you feel like when your when your son actually qualified for the WCT what was that feeling like
0: well I, I thought I thought well it, it had to happen because he because he was he was a very good surfer um, he was he was world under 16 champion he was three times Australian champion he was world under 18 champion it was really only a matter of time before he qualified a big part of qualifying for a lot of people of that ilk, who are dominant in their age group, their junior pedigree suggests how far they're going to go, right? So if they're outstanding and they win everything, so we're talking, my son was one of those. There's, you know, Owen Wright, Julian Wilson, Sally Fitzgibbon, Steph Gilmore. They're the type of people, Mick Fenning, they're the people who win early and win often. Mm. They end up WCT. Normally it takes them two years. You can make the big time if you've got a certain level of talent, but also you've got the work ethic to work hard at it. And that's normally a three to five year journey. So a lot of people who go out to try and qualify, if they haven't got a pedigree, they need to be counselled that fact that this is this is a journey, this is going to be tough for you, you know, and I and I've had that conversation with a number of people over the years, knowing that you know that it is going to be a journey and there's going to be a lot. of. They've got to learn how to lose a lot before they start winning yeah. to get to the, the big time. But, you know, it's an achievement. You know, everyone around them, everyone around the surfers over the moon, those people who are moderately talented, if they qualify too early, say, say a two-year qualification, they usually don't last there because there's this package of skills that they need more than just surfing. You know, they need to be able to handle the pressure of surfing against a Medina and a Mick Fenning and a Kelly Slater and, you know, like they have to handle the pressure of being interviewed every day. They have to handle the pressure of people coming up and wanting their autographs, you know, when, when in the WQS that doesn't happen, you know. So that when they get to the big time, there's all these different pressures and there's also the pressure in the in the WCT that you might surf, you might compete on day one and then not compete until day 10. So you've got... Seven or eight days of lay yeah. um, layover, you know, where you don't compete, you've got to sit around. You've got to, you've got to be like a Ferrari in a garage, you know. You've <laughs> got to, <laughs> you've got to be ready to go. And someone who isn't hasn't got that package of skills, hasn't got that skill. Mm-hmm. They haven't learnt those other intangible skills that, are, that are the top line pro has, besides learning the different breaks as well around the world. You know, the the Choppers, the Bell's Beach, the Snappers, the yeah, you they know, they're all learning curves in themselves, so it's a big world for mm-hmm. those people. And you know, but it's exciting as well. There's good rewards to be had. You know, hopefully it comes back in a positive way and after COVID. Yes, but you know, like it really is. Um, it is a great achievement. You know, when you think about that, these people. You know, there's top 30 in the world in the men and top 16 in the women, out of what 30 million people. You know who surf? Maybe forty million people who surf. Whatever the numbers are, these are the very elite. This this is a really this is a real achievement yeah. in anyone's language. Yeah. And you know when you think about it, if I just just an aside, Kelly Slater, Kelly Slater, in my view, is the best athlete of any sport ever. You know, mean? like he is just a phenomenon. If he had been in some other sport, he would have been a superstar of the highest order. Yeah. You know just unbelievable what that guy's done in, in his career. And he's still doing it, you know, like <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, that was just an aside. I just wanted to mention that, <laughs> what my feelings on that.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But no, it's it is incredible what, what Kelly Slater has achieved and all the all the people on the on the WCT is is a real phenomenon. So I guess, well, we're almost ready to park the bus and finish this lovely conversation. I was just wondering, what's the sort of best memory or surfing memory out of all the places that you visited?
0: Well, the thing I really like, I've been very, very fortunate because I've, I've been in the game and because I've, when you produce books and videos, and you become known as an expert in the field. And, and as a result of that, and I also, I was Australian coach for you know, four or five years. And so that gives you credibility in around the world as well. So I've been very fortunate to be able to have, have travelled the world extensively, the surfing world extensively, and I've worked for other countries and other organisations as well. I really like working in other other cultures. You know, you're delivering the same information, but you actually, every different culture you go to, you have to modify it depending on the culture. So, you know, I, I work closely with Hiroto Ohara in Japan. He's one of their main guys in Japan. I was proving for a couple of years, you know, so I've worked with the Japanese. I've worked with the Americans. They speak the same language as us, but they're not the same people. <laughs> you know, there's the Peruvians, the South Americans. You know, I've worked with some French surfers as well. My son-in-law is a French guy from Brittany, actually. Right. So I've got to know some some really nice, you know, Pauline Doe and, you know, Jorgen Cousineau and, <laughs> and and Tristan. So there's some some really nice people, but every different culture is is stimulating and interesting and so that's the thing i really enjoy doing is working in those environments they're stressful because you're always trying to do the best job i've always thought that if you you know if you one bad one bad coaching session is like going to a restaurant and having one bad meal just one bad meal is all it takes to destroy a reputation you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I always try and prepare and do, a, do the best job I can with whoever I'm working with. But, but working with a different culture, I walk in really neutral and I try and be not opinionated. But then when my expertise is required, well, then I'm top of that and I provide my advice without fear or favor. Mm. And so that that's the stimulating thing for me. That's the big thing. You know, I've, I've had wonderful experiences. I've surfed All over the world as well, um, and I've surfed some great surfs in the time. But as a coach, I've been on the beach, and I've seen some outstanding surfing in my time, and um, so too many to mention, really.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but you were saying at the beginning that you travelled a lot when you started out, so now everybody's travelling to you. How does that make you feel?
0: Uh well, a validation. There's a validation that what you what you're saying is correct. It's a validation that people feel as though that you've got what they're after, so they're looking for answers, and you've got it. I'm a lot more certain in my opinion now. Like the thing is, I, I don't I don't provide an opinion to someone unless I'm sure of that opinion, because as soon as you actually say something about a performance, say, "Oh, you know that." You, you need to work on your bottom turn or you need to you know your, your wave selection's not good, or as soon as you say that to someone it's in that in that student's brain it's in their mind and they start dwelling on it and so I don't talk to people I don't give advice unless I'm sure of my opinion about what is what the, what the students or the surface requirements are and I don't give advice unless I've got a solution mm you know, so so it's one thing to say, listen, you know your, your cutback's no good. Go and work on your cutback. You know what that's done. If I say that, is I've I've given you a double negative, really, because you don't know how to work on your cutback, and the coach thinks I've got a terrible cutback. <laughs> but around the world, there's so much other instruction going on. Mm. You know, from what I see. So, so you know, like that's the big thing about it, is the validation is that all the work that I've done, all the groundwork I've done. And, you know, if someone was going to be a coach, you know, you mentioned that in before we started talking today, but if someone's going to be a coach, the more they can read, the more they can understand the sport, the more thorough they can be and the more to, to – you don't always have to give an opinion when someone says, what do you think, you know? You know, often – and especially the higher up the surfer is, the often I'll say, oh, you know, like, go and get a few more waves. I'm not sure, mm. you know, I'm, because, as I said, you don't want to plan a – thought in someone who who may sleep on it and not you know and toss and turn on on whatever you said and so you know that validation comes from people people like what i do obviously Mm -hmm. otherwise i you know i don't advertise for my coaching other well now i am because i've got my website that i'm i'm promoting but you know i'm not out there doing doing a lot i just walk around and i do my thing and then if people like what i do you know like for instance you know People like Jessie Miley-Dyer, who's the commissioner for the WSL, I was her coach for five or six years before she became a professional surfer. Her and her best friend, Rebecca Woods, who are great students, great to work with, great girls. They're people who recommend people to me. Yeah. You know? you know, all... Bethany Beth, Hamilton, I've, I've worked a number of times with Bethany Hamilton. She sends me videos for, for a review. Mm. You know, And so that's, you know, for me, that's the greatest validation ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone like her, who I think is up there with Kelly Slater. Yes, absolutely. You know, you know? She, she's a Kelly Slater in my mind But with what she's done. I'm more stoked for her to do that than she would be to get the videos that I send to her. <laughs> you know? So, you know, like I don't want people to think I'm name-dropping there. I, I, think, I think that's – you asked me about what I think about it. I, I'm stoked. I'm stoked that people find what I've done in my work – of such value that people like that go, okay, yeah, I, I want to send my video. I want his opinion. Yeah, it's a really, it's it's a really good, really good accolade on 35 years of hard work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. It's a really lovely way to actually sort of conclude this conversation. So, do you think you could give the listeners all the details of your website so that we can come and sure, check it out?
0: Sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my website's under my name, so it's martin dot com. dot au. Mm-hmm. So it's an Australian address. Obviously, on the web, it's it's accessible from anywhere in the world. I've got over four hundred videos. I'm, I've actually just started putting up how to fix specific errors. So people have got errors in their surfing. So I'm going to have about fifty of those. Just you know how to, you know if you can't reach the phone when you do your cup, you run out of speed. Well then, that, that's so. Anyway, those sort of things, and I'm wanting to, as I said to you before, is I'm wanting my website to become known in time as as the authority on how you become a better surfer, and that's my aim. That's what I'm working towards. And at the moment, you know, I've got three or four hundred, well, over three hundred people who are members of my site right now. Anyone can come in seven days free, just like you did, Emmy. Yeah, seven yep. days free. You don't have to put your credit card in. I'm hoping at the end of the seven days some of those people will come and say, yeah, I'd like to be a part of it and I'd like to know more and be a, have a journey with me. Mm-hmm. But those who don't, you know, I'm really comfortable about those people who don't stay, you know, because you know what, I'm actually showing them there is a way you can become a better surfer. Yeah, yeah. And you can take all those nuggets of information I've got and you can use them to your benefit, even if you pick up one thing about – because, you know, a lot of new surfers, for instance, they have trouble catching waves. <laughs> so if you just learn about preparing before you paddle out and knowing where to sit in the ocean, and you get that from my my website, from my seven-day free trial and never come back, I'm stoked. <laughs> I'll be really happy.
1: That's fantastic. And are you on Facebook or Instagram or anything or just yeah, the website? Yeah,
0: on Facebook, just, just under my name. Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so... you, you just have to type my name in and, and I'll come up wherever. <laughs>
1: okay. So what are your plans for the next months?
0: Well, in in Australia, because of COVID, we've, we've been more fortunate than a lot of places around the world. We haven't had drastic lockdowns, even though Melbourne is in the lockdown right now. So we've been relatively free to travel around and live a semi-normal life. It's, it's changed, but it's, it's semi-normal. What I'm doing the next few months is I'm continuing to work on my website. That's pretty well my full-time job now. I've got people who, who want me to do half days, full days with them, so I'll go and do, you know, I want a coach. Um, it keeps me abreast. It, I come up with new content when I'm working with people. You know, I think, oh, okay, I can make a movie on that or other people will be interested in that. And also, um, a lot of people send me videos, like I mentioned, Bethany. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of recreational surfers who send me videos, and I do reviews on their videos and send them training from that, so individualized to their needs. Excellent. So a lot of people do that, and that's all available through my website. Uh, so if you've got, you know, yeah, really anyone anyone who wants to be the best surfer, if they've got video of themselves, really doesn't matter what level they are, I can I can pinpoint exactly what they need to take that next step so that that's what i'll be doing i'll be you know reviewing videos working with surfers and then as soon as there's an open border that Australians can travel i'll, I'll be on a plane somewhere
1: <laughs> fantastic well martin it was an absolute delight to speak to you and to learn more about your career and your your programs and how to become a better surfer and i really thank you for your time how do you feel
0: I feel great, thanks, Simi. Yeah, really good. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a real pleasure to share share my understanding of what surfing is, and I'm really looking forward to uh, hopefully get some of your listeners come in and and see what's what I'm I'm offering and building the the knowledge for the future.
1: All right, brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Martin, and hope to speak to you soon. Take care. Thanks, Simi. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I don't know about you, but I could just picture Martin growing up in Australia, hitchhiking to the beach with a surfboard. In fact, at the moment, I'm reading Bob McTavish's book, and there's a lot of resemblance. Martin is also so modest about his achievements. But it was such a great privilege to talk to him. It was amazing. I love the way Martin is still also innovating and sharing his encyclopedic knowledge via his website, and with travel being on the hold for a while, maybe the best way is to log on to his website, subscribe to the free trial and perhaps improve some area in your surfing. So head over to martindunn.com.au and check it out. Martin also is on Instagram and Facebook and all the links to his socials are in the show notes that are in your app or on the theoceanriderspodcast.com. Head over to theoceanriderspodcast.com also to find extra photos of Martin and some of his students and his epic track record. Anyway, until next episode, take care. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Martin, for being my awesome guest. And thank you, Leng, for being my awesome editor. Until next episode, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.